Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to Homeschool Together. Thanks for joining us today. If you have a chance, head down into the show notes and check out all of our social media. And if you could leave us a review on iTunes, it always helps us get new people. And, you know, we always like social cred, street cred <laughs> from the peeps. But um, today we had a nice interview with a Homeschooling Journeys interview. Yeah. So um, Noel Medici came and um, met with us or digitally met with us. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward to re- like someday recording a live interview One day. with somebody. One day when this all pandemic stuff is over and we can sit down with people live. But uh, we got a chance to talk with Noelle and it was a really great interview. She had a lot of interesting things to say. She's a- Homeschooling uh, two boys. Homeschooling two boys um, in downtown Pittsburgh. Yeah. So it's cool to talk about city life and those things. She has a chronic illness. And so how she homeschools around around that was also a part of our conversation. And it it was a really, really nice interview. Really enjoyed talking to her. We definitely learned a lot. She's also an old- Homeschool. I mean, I am old school homeschooler. She she was homeschooled as a kid herself, right? K through so twelve, which was so interesting. This is now the second person we've um, a second generation homeschooler. Mm-hmm. Um, she never really thought she was going to homeschool this time because she didn't really like her experiences uh, when she was younger. She wanted something different for her kids, but then she made the choice, and then the pandemic helped accelerate that. And she's carving out a different path and maybe something a little bit more. You know, fulfilling. Hopefully, her her children will enjoy this experience, and it sounds like they are absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was really it was really fun, and we hope that you totally uh, enjoy our interview. So let's just get right into it with Noel. Hi, Noel. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much, Ariel and Matt. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys today. Well, we're really excited to talk with you. So, um, could you just start off giving us some background about your family and your um, your decision to homeschool your your kiddos? Sure. So, uh, me and my husband, we have two boys. Uh, our oldest is six, and then our youngest will be four in February. So, almost four. And I was a homeschool graduate, and I kind of went into my adult life assuming I would never homeschool my kids for various reasons. But when our oldest was about three and a half, we started a really amazing preschool. It was a play-based, nature-based cooperative preschool. And I wasn't 100% sold on public school, but I kind of more wanted to see kind of what other options were. And this was a really nice way to have some options to like a non-academic preschool. And as a parent, you were required to be in the classroom. Initially, it was like one day a month and then two days a month. So that was just a really nice way of us kind of being more involved. Mm -hmm. And then, so that was great. And that was very relaxed. And I think the more time we spent there, that also kind of helped open our eyes to kind of just, do we really want to go from this to public school? So I think he was about in their four-year class when we decided, you know, once we're done here, we'll just homeschool. And they did have an accredited kindergarten. So we were going to do that for kindergarten and then transition to homeschooling for first grade. 
and it was a half day kindergarten. So it's again to us, it seemed very relaxed, very low key. And then COVID hit. So we had already planned on homeschooling, but then suddenly our plans are changing and it's doing this a year earlier and still for the same reasons, but a different reason to start the year we were than we'd originally intended. So that kind of made it look a little bit differently. So when you had originally decided to homeschool pre-pandemic, was mm-hmm. it because of wanting to have the flexibility flexibility to be relaxed, to not have your child go into something that you thought would be rigorous and stressful and, and that kind of thing? Or like what really drew you to it, especially since you, you had not wanted to homeschool your children? Yeah. So the rigor was definitely part of it. Um, my my oldest is definitely not like a hyperactive kid at all. I think he's, for a six-year-old, I think he's actually very good at like the sitting still and the paying attention. I just still couldn't see him spending six or eight hours a day in a classroom. And I know schools today try to, you know, get the wiggles out and they try to do alternative things. But to me, that was still just a long time to be in class at that age. And the other reason was I saw, you know, when he was a couple of years old, I started seeing interest of his, you know, and dinosaurs and other things that, you know, in a low key way, me and his dad would be able to encourage and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of foster this. And I were thinking, I don't want him to spend six, eight hours a day in school. And I kind of want to be able to continue to be able to foster these loves of interest he has as he continues to get older. And I felt like that wasn't going to be able to happen as easily, in my opinion, if we went with a more traditional public school setting. Uh, that, that's understandable. Yeah, you, you do you do have to go with what they want. Um, so you were, you were, you were planning the homeschool, but all of a sudden, you know, this big, big shift happened and it was jarring obviously for the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you adapt to that? You know, what type of choices did you have to make? You know, how did you rapidly, you know, spin up your homeschool environment a year early? How did you pull that in so fast? So I feel like we had like the most low key kindergarten ever. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the preschool was open. We had decided not to send him just because of COVID. So mm-hmm. we kept him home and I did nothing academic. We did a lot of board game and game schooling. Cool. We did a lot of read alouds from the library. I think I myself as a parent was still kind of figuring out what homeschooling method worked best for me. I don't really know if he would have been ready for a formal, even you know, kindergarten curriculum. He just turned five in August. So he would have been a very young kindergarten yeah he would have yeah. but halfway through I think it was what maybe March or April I was like oh he's suddenly sounding out words and we're suddenly ready for a little bit more so by the end of kindergarten we had done nothing academic except for um all about reading which we okay. didn't start till March or April and by the end of kindergarten he was at second grade in math that's wow. I feel like we're on that same path with (laughs) our daughter. She's really excelling at the, at the math and it's, it's fun to be able to go at her speed. I'm sure you're seeing that too, is just not having to hold her back. We we think about like, Oh gosh, what would be if she were in a classroom? And she was like, no, we're still learning our basic numbers. And she's like, I'm already doing addition and subtraction, you know? Well, absolutely. And the thing was with COVID, you know, I felt like it was kind of getting, was hard to find your homeschool community. So after the end of winter and Christmas break, we had actually re-enrolled him in preschool for kindergarten for spring semester, half day. That way he would at least have a safe place to socialize. He hated it. 
Wow. He had the thing, everything he had loved about it before, you know, the friends, the, the classes, the structure. I think at this point, he still enjoyed going back to see his friends, but there would be days he'd get up and he'd be like, can I just stay home today? Like, I don't really need to go. And, you know, we debated back and forth, whether even to pull him out of this, of that half semester, but, you know, he'd be like, oh, I'd be like, what are you learning about? Money. I'm like, that's great. You love money. Yeah. We're spending a whole week learning about the penny. I'm like, oh. I think you picked up the whole value of all the money in a week. So like things like that, where, you know, unintentionally just over the course of doing games and read alouds and simple things like that, I ended up with him, this kid that was suddenly bored in, you know, a little half day program. Hey, you know, we have a, another set of friends who have decided to homeschool their students uh, this year. And I, they were doing it last year a little bit for their older mm-hmm. one. And they decided to do it again this year. I think he's like 10 or 11 and he's very similar to that. He just likes to get all the work done and then enjoy the the day and he can move as fast as he wants. That, that is such a, I think a unique thing about homeschooling. Is that something you were expecting or did that come to you as a surprise? I think that I had never thought of my kid as being advanced. And I'd also never assumed that we would be like that. I'm someone that was attracted to this preschool for a more play-based approach. I'm more of someone that would rather start academics at a later age and do things more laid back. But here he is, you know, enjoying more mathematics and enjoying this. It was, it was kind of like what I thought would be ideal and what he seems to want were like two very different things, which is interesting. It's interesting because you, you have your own background in homeschool. So you you definitely have a, a lens with which to, to say like, this is, you know, what I would like it to be for my son. And it's interesting that even there's even been changes and, you know, in, in how he would like to approach things. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about your, your background with homeschool and what that experience was like for you and, and how it informed, you know, how you're setting up your homeschool now with your, with your sons? Yeah. So I was homeschooled in the nineties and early two thousands. And it was a lot of what people stereotype homeschooling to be like. So back then there wasn't a lot of options as far as curriculum. Most of your curriculum was very religious based. A lot of it was very heavy workbook based. And, you know, your science might be lacking in some more evidence-based things. Your history might not be as diverse, things like that. Uh, I also grew up in a very um, rural farming community. So, you know, there weren't a lot of homeschool classes or socialization options because, you know, we just lived in such a remote area. So Mm -hmm. those were kind of big reasons where I grew up and I was like, I don't really want to do this for my kids. You know, we lived 12 miles from town. There really wasn't a ton of social life. I kind of wanted my kids to have friends and opportunities and those sorts of things that just weren't something I saw homeschoolers being able to do in my, you know, farming community. Have you gravitated to a certain type of philosophy with homeschooling now that you're your son is starting to, you know, pick up the curriculum and starting to run forward. Do you, do you have a certain methodology or is it very eclectic? You're just picking and choosing what he likes. So definitely when we, you know, picked this, I thought it would be more, you know, something laid back, something more eclectic, almost maybe unschoolish. Yeah. But now yeah. that we're doing it and we're kind of in it, I would say we're still more relaxed, but definitely child led. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, very much leaning into his interests. And some of that tends to be more academic than I would have expected. But I definitely think he's a kid that once he finds something he enjoys, you know, he doesn't want to stop just because 
you know, most kindergartners or most first graders just get a, you know, a taste of it. You know, maybe he wants to dig a little deeper or maybe just understanding a little bit about counting. Why can't we dig in a little deeper? Things like that. Has that been hard as you as a, you know, you're homeschooling your history and now, now you're playing the mentor and educator role. Was that something that was difficult for you to, you know, pivot into or to adapt, you know, even though you were thinking like you were saying how you thought maybe it would be a little bit more less rigor and now there's a little bit more rigor than you expected. How do you, how have you been handling that as an educator? I feel like this year I have a pretty good flow. Okay. Like I said, last year I didn't do much. It was like I said, it was a lot of games. It was a lot of library books kind of following his interests and also just kind of figuring out what we wanted to do. I haven't decided if I'm going to do kindergarten that way with my neck, my younger child, mm-hmm. but it worked really well for my older one. Um, really the only, you know, thing that I feel like maybe we weren't at grade level at by, the, you know, that's in quotes, I guess you can't see it, <laughs> by <Yeah>. the end <laughs> of kindergarten was handwriting. And I just feel like so many boys, especially, aren't really ready to be doing handwriting at five years old. So well, that's understandable. Um, I know handwriting has been something that I've been working on with my, my youngest and, you know, I have a lot of workbooks and stuff that I'm working on it and it's been, you know, kind of a struggle. Yeah. I like that. We get the freedom to decide yeah. what kind of handwriting too. Should we do print? <laughs> Should we do cursive? Should we do Danielian and be funky? Yeah, we're gonna be um, it, It's so hard, especially when like you have a kid like this one, who's like so smart, but he's not in, he was never into the coloring or like some of those other mm-hmm. things where you're working on those pre handwriting skills. And now at five years old, you're saying, write your name or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Our exactly. daughter is also not into coloring. We no. found mazes. She was very into mazes and that got her a lot of um, early dexterity work when she didn't want to color. I was very much a coloring kid. So I just didn't understand hand her a coloring book and she'd be like, eh. Yeah, no, she never liked the coloring she book. She was just not. <laughs> have, have you used anything specific with the handwriting, um, like a curriculum or a workbook? We have not a little. So we okay. did a little less last year. I think we tried a little tracing. He wasn't into it at all. You know, the one thing we found that worked kind of doing a little bit last year was we would cut out hearts and he would write something he was thankful for and he taught her love for Valentine's and okay. it motivated him and it was something he would write every day and we taped the window. Mm. And uh, this year we had, uh, I don't know if you ever heard, we have a Lakeshore Learning Store that was near where we used to live and I would get some dry erase books there and just basic bare bones of tracing uppercase, lowercase numbers so that seemed to help this year. And it was also just, he was older. He was more willing to do it, willing to sit there and just spend the time tracing on the page as opposed to like, you know, being told it's the worst thing in the world type thing. No, that's understandable. Um, so you've, you've done two years of your, you're in your second year of homeschooling with your, your oldest. How has it been like homeschooling your oldest with your, with your younger uh, kid? Is, is there, has there been a challenge there? How have you, you know, uh, overcome those challenges or, has it been easy to drag the the younger one into the, the curriculum with the uh, older one? So I have a very unique setup that I know doesn't seem to do what a lot of homeschooling moms are able to do. But thanks to COVID, my husband's basically been working from home the entire time we've been homeschooling. Yeah, we, we've been the same. Ariel's been here pretty yeah, much the whole right. time. Yeah. And actually, um, about, was it maybe six months ago, he's actually he's worked from home as permanent. So that doesn't even change once COVID's a, a thing. So, oh, nice. you know, our new life is just work from home. So we kind of set up our schedule where from eight to nine, I do one-on-one with our older one and he will play with our almost four-year-old. He'll take him for a bike ride. They'll go for a walk. And I really get that one-on-one time. The 
almost four-year-old start, we realized we're getting a little jealous. So we've started what we call Maxwell School. It, it's not really school. I just made him Play-Doh in a sand tray and he thinks it's great. And 10 minutes later, he's doing Hot Wheels, but <laughs> it makes him feel included. <laughs> um, and then what we'll do is dad usually starts work, goes to his office and starts work around nine. And then the boys will either take a break and play for a bit. Or if we've got some good momentum, we'll go and do our together stuff, which sometimes the almost four-year-old will sit still and join us for. And sometimes he's like, what are we doing? I'm not doing this today. So it kind of depends, but it's the stuff where if he's going to join us, he's more likely to be interested for. So we do, uh, we will do um, our read-alouds for history and science during that time, as well as we've been reading other things we read kind of vary, but we've been doing right now, we've been reading some Shel Silverstein and we've been working our way through some logic books. Yeah, I, I've been interested in this because I'm, I'm trying to welcome in my almost two and a half year old into a lot of the things we're doing. And I, you know, I invite her in, I, you know, set up stuff for her to do, but a lot of times she'll do it and then kind of wander away. Do you, do you, do you still find it difficult for the four-year-old to like keep them close to you to try to get them interested do you do a lot of planning ahead of time to like come up with cool ideas how 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 do you handle that it's definitely hard like okay especially the times where you're like oh we're gonna read you know these books to get through this topic today or whatever and you think maybe you've got something with great pictures or you know whatever that the younger kid in theory should be interested and then suddenly the younger kid's like why can't we just watch tv exactly (laughs) or you know why can't we just go and it's not that you mind him playing in the other room quietly but suddenly he wants to do something that would be noisier or you know whatever and you saying no now makes it the you know the end of the world yeah or or it's dangerous right that's that's my that's my thing our kid likes to be dangerous she likes to be dangerous she's a little yeah a little danger one that you know i have the same i have the same struggles too And, and sometimes i feel I don't know when we're having a little, we're having a, a chat session here on the couch. I, f- I feel like I abandoned the two-year-old sometimes when I'm yeah. sitting to read the books. Cause I know it's like, Hey, we're going to read these two books today. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, Hey, come on, sit with us, be, be part of it. And then she like drifts away. I always have that like feel of like abandonment. I, I don't know. It's something I, I have. To yeah. I talked with. to another homeschool mom who had, who felt the same way. She was like, I feel like my toddler's not getting enough of my attention because yeah. I've, I've got things that I want to do with the older. And it's like, well, if you weren't doing it, maybe you'd set up an activity for them to do, but you wouldn't necessarily be sitting, holding them the whole time anyways. Yeah. Right. You and know? I know, I definitely wouldn't be spending like 40 minutes to an hour one-on-one doing, you know, reading or Play-Doh or whatever with my four-year-old probably his attention would probably be done well before then versus the six-year-old is, great for that amount of time. Yeah. I think that we're modeling good behavior too, you know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you in that. And, it's, and, you know, there are times when maybe we're reading books that the six-year-old's more interested in like bedtime or, you know, things like that, where he's totally all about sitting still for, you know, elephant and piggies, his big thing right now. But, <laughs> but sometimes getting him to sit still for the other books just depends on his mood and everything else. So I definitely hear you on the younger sibling train. So that's why being able to recruit dad to do that, take care of him for an hour so we can do phonics, math, and handwriting has just been a huge, huge help to our homeschooling. So now that you've really you know, kind of made a, a routine for yourself and you've settled in what, what homeschooling means to you, I'm curious how that differed from what you 
thought it was going to be when you started, right? You, you definitely, everyone has these preconceptions when we get mm-hmm. into it, say, okay, we're going to homeschool. It's like what you think it's going to be. And then reality. And of course you have your homeschooling background, which also colors that. And I know you were worried about socialization stuff, but are there other things that just surprised you? Like I thought our homeschooling was going to be this way. <laughs> and it's totally different. So I guess I didn't really have a lot of like preconceived notions about homeschooling as a whole, since I was kind of already familiar with it. You know, my experience was obviously very different than this. I think I thought we would be a little more laid back than we ended up being, but I feel like we also have a good balance going now between rigor and chaos. Um, (laughs) I know when I talked to my husband, who he was a traditional public school student, um, he said his experience was he didn't really have a lot of experience with homeschoolers growing up, but he assumed most of them were cloistered and not really, you know, socialized, even though looking back, he's like, oh, yeah, there was that homeschooling family next door and they went on road trips six months out of the year. And that seemed really great. But, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's it's interesting the way that you talk about rigor and chaos together. Uh, <laughs> I feel like ours is like that, too. And sometimes I feel like, you know, I I. I want to be relaxed. We want to be relaxed because yeah. mm-hmm. why put stress on our young children? That just seems, that feels wrong to my, to my heart. Sure. But um, at the same time, I always worry like, is this not rigorous enough? And then you know, sometimes Matt's reminding me like rigorous enough for who? Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. we don't have to be public school. We don't have no. to act that way, but I still feel that, I don't know if your husband feels this too, but coming from public school background, uh, I feel that public public school guilt, like, Am I, am I being, I had a much more rigorous education. Is this like tough enough for my kids? And then I I I have to like snap myself out of it. (laughs) So I'm not sure if he feels as much as like, sometimes it's maybe not that it's more of like the mom guilt fits in, which I feel like all of us must have where maybe, you know, your kid's doing great, but you're like, oh, but we're not doing anything for spelling. We're not doing anything for, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. that area is that you're not focusing on. So I think we all have that where maybe your kid's doing great in something else, but you're like, but what about this? Or, oh, am I doing enough for art or music or, you know, whatever that subject is that you're not focused on in your homeschooling yet. And and, and if you hear something from a a friend or a neighbor about something that their kid did and you're not doing that, you're like, am I, am I missing a piece, a crucial piece? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of that uncertainty. Do you, um, what are you, you know, what have you been doing in the pandemic for socialization, especially with these younger kids? Have you been able to get outings? Have they been able to interact with friends? Part of the big change for our life was once we found out that my husband could work remote permanently, which we actually um, totally relocate our lives. Oh, perfect. Mm. So we actually had lived for about 11 years right outside of Washington, D.C., which is kind of where we didn't visit homeschooling. There's a ton of free museums. There's a ton of parks. It's really got a ton of stuff for you to do that's very, you know, either free or very low cost. But it's a very expensive place to live in general. (laughs) Yes, we have have heard. (laughs) And we had lived there because that was where his job was tied. But we had bought a house there with two incomes. I had been working. Um, Once the pandemic hit, I had gotten really sick, not COVID, you know, something else. And suddenly I couldn't work. And once he was able to go full remote, we were like, what are we still doing here? Like we need to move. So we actually relocated this summer um, back to where we both went to college. We moved back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. So it's a cheaper cost of living. You know, there's still, you know, museums and stuff like that, but my kids are going to get to experience winter, which I'm not thrilled about. 
And so we're just kind of slowly getting to know other homeschoolers and finding our homeschooling community here. Do, do you find, I, I know Pittsburgh has made a, a big change over the past about two dozen years, uh, about two, two decades, I think it's it's gone from the old kind of steel mining town to more of like, I think a health and medical uh, um, kind of revitalization. Have you, have you noticed there's a lot more activities that you can do there or do you live far enough outside of the city that you're more in like the rural countryside area? Oh, we are right in the middle of the city. We are, we oh, are perfect. urban renting right now. So oh, my wow. kids are so spoiled. We can walk to the playground. It is like a <laughs> 10 minute drive to the museum. Like this so is like this is like totally spoiled for if we buy a house outside the so city. You, you know, this this is a this is great. This is actually really cool because I don't think we've actually talked with someone that lives, lives in, in, in the city. city. Yeah. We've talked to a lot of suburbanites, kind of rural suburban people. We're we're kind of quasi rural suburban. You know, we're we're about an hour and a half from Seattle on a mm-hmm. busy day, so we're kind of like out out in the hinterlands. But you're in the city. What what is that like? What is it? How is that different? Are you finding other people that are homeschooling in the area? And, and what is it? What's life like in a city of homeschoolers? So I love it. Again, and I'm not. Let me uh, caveat this by saying we're renting right now while we figure out if we want to buy right in the oh, city sure, or sure. just outside. But we also don't know. We don't want to be rural, super suburbanite. So this is kind of similar to how we see things going. It's amazing that we can walk to the library or drive to the library in like a minute. It's three blocks away. There's a big science museum that's like a mile and a half away. The science center is like three miles away. Like that sort of life is just amazing. I think it takes me a 10 to 15 minute drive to get to the zoo. So, you know, there's definitely been days where it's been rainy or cold when, you know, I'll be like, oh, you know what, guys, after lunch, we'll just go to the science center for a little bit because, you know, we've got a membership and, it's a 10 minute drive. Let's just go there and kill a couple hours to, instead of just hanging out outside and dealing with this cold day. Do, do you find living around in close proximity with a lot of other people that they, they have a lot of good opportunities to interact with other kids? Is that another benefit? I think, so I know there's some, we found a few homeschoolers around here. I think the, the exception to that is obviously COVID. Sure, so I sure. think as yeah, you know, tough. kids are getting vaccinated that there'll be more, there's definitely a, a secular co-op, the neighborhood over from mine that used to meet, that they're on hold on in-person meetings right now due to COVID. Sure. Um, but I'm very interested in that once they're up and running again. And they even have like a like a little homeschool co-op preschool for the younger siblings, I think would be maybe amazing for my younger one to help give him a play group or something. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times, you know, I think that's kind of the 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 push and pull that we we have to deal with, right? Like if we live out more of like the rural area, it's harder to find things like, and you, mm-hmm. you know, one neighborhood over have a homeschool co-op that you can walk to. Like, you know, we don't have that benefit yeah. necessarily. So it's, it's, it's really, it's really great too, because you know, all the, the museums and the science center and the zoo and all those things are great ways you can take advantage of when all the other kids are in school and you can go and do all of these great activities. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I know so many people are worried about, you know, crowds. We go to the science center now and yeah, you know, there's times you don't even see 10, 20 people at some of these museums. It's great. So, you know, I felt like we went to the history center the other a couple of weeks ago and I felt like we had the whole place to ourselves. Like they are getting a very spoiled experience. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. So let's walk back. Like, so, so you're in, you can go literally anywhere within minutes, probably good pizza mm-hmm. joint right down the street. Um, yeah. Multiple. This is Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's I was, the I've whole been, East coast has, we, been, has yes. really good food. I, I've, I've been on a YouTube 
pizza review binge in the last few few weeks. So <laughs> it's I, I'm, not I'm, been healthy for our waistlines. I, I know it has not been. We keep um, going out to pizza. What does a day look like to you with the two kids? You know, how do you wait? Is like a typical day? What does a homeschool typical day look for you? Look like to you? Sure. So my kids are early risers. So they'll get up and they'll either watch the little TV or this morning my older one got up and was playing Minecraft. They'll do something like that. Dad usually gets up before me and helps them make a little breakfast. I'll go downstairs at some point, have a little something. By 7 30, 8 o'clock, they're all dressed and we try to start our morning routine by 8. So at 8, I'll usually sit down with my older one and we will do a little bit of handwriting practice. We'll do all about reading, which we're working through level two right now. And then we'll do math. And for math, we're doing Beast Academy. Okay. Are you doing uh, Beast Academy? Is that all only online or does it also have a paper? So they component? have both. You can do the books or online. You can do books and online. Um, we're just doing online, which I really love. And if anyone's considering it, I would definitely do the online, even if you're by the books. Because if you do the online, you get, Videos included explaining every single concept. You get like extra puzzles. They include tests that they don't have in the books. Like there's so much extra included. Mm. Again, I know not everyone uses all that stuff, but my son loves the videos of mm. this math teacher explaining the concept. It's just, again, they're not, they're straightforward videos. They're not, you know, cartoons or anything, but he just loves the videos of this guy explaining, this is how you do this. So this is your, your main math, not a supplemental. This is the main math curriculum. This is our main math, but cool. he also enjoys math so much that we have found that we do end up using other things just to kind of quench that thirst. Okay. So we do use, I don't know if you guys have heard of Prodigy, which is another online math program. It's not designed to be a full curriculum, but it's more of a video game style thing. Hmm. And in order to solve these video game quests, you have to do math problems. Okay, cool. Hmm. But the thing with Prodigy is there's not really any instructions. So if they haven't seen a concept before, that could be frustrating. Versus with Beast Academy, a full curriculum, they'll be explaining the concepts, and then they'll get the chance to do the puzzles or the problems on their own. And the other big thing that we introduced this year that we've been doing with math, well, we've always done board games. So obviously, we did a lot of that last year. But um, we started doing something called Dragon Box, hmm. which is a math app we found. And they have a few different ones. But I started him going one called Big Numbers, which is a lot of practice with adding and subtracting two and three digit numbers just to keep getting that practice that a lot of kids need with the those two and three digit numbers remembering to carry the ones and all that. Yeah, I'm doing the exact same thing right now. So what, what was that again? What was that called? It's Dragon called Dragon Box. Box and they actually Dragon have Box, four sorry. different math games. And he's been playing one called Big Numbers because all okay. you're doing is adding and subtracting those bigger numbers. And they also have regular numbers okay. just for kind of getting used to kind of smaller numbers and how they look. And I think they have a geometry and an algebra one. So it's like a really good math app and they're like maybe eight to $10 each, but it's very you know nice how it has him working on those math facts. It doesn't really feel like drilling to him. Yeah. And, and I'm, I've been trying to, <clears throat> I've been doing a lot of that by hand. I found a, a little web tool that you could generate math problems, but yeah, something like an app would probably be good. I, we, we might look into that ourselves. So you, you, that's math. How long is your day? Do you, you said you start around eight or eight thirty. We start at eight and we get math, phonics and handwriting done by eight forty nine o'clock. So okay. at nine, you know, usually he and his brother will take a break and they'll go play in the playroom for a bit while I have breakfast. Okay. Once in a while, they'll be in a great mood. They're ready to keep going. We'll keep going. But usually I'll take a breakfast break. They'll play. 
after I eat, I'll usually be like, hey guys, we've got a few more minutes and then we'll sit down and we'll do kind of like morning basket joint time. So we'll, right okay. now we've been doing reading Shel Silverstein. We've been working through a logic book and then we'll read a little bit of the books we're doing for history and a little bit for science. Oh, perfect. What are you using for history and science? So for history, I just didn't really see anything I really loved for first grade. Okay. I know there's some stuff out there that's secular, but I just felt like a lot of it was going to be not quite with his interests yet. Okay. So we ended up kind of doing our own thing. I'm doing a United States 50 states unit study. Perfect. So we're doing read alouds about all the states, but I'm also trying to include some history by finding famous people from each state or, you know, maybe something famous. Like we just did Illinois. So we talked about Jane Adams being from there. We talked mm -hmm. about, um, we talked about the great Chicago fire, mm. kind of those sorts of things tying in. So it's not just this place in a map. It's what do you remember about that place or what people do you remember too? Just trying to tie in a little bit of history along with the geography. And we'll play a few games, not actually every day or week. I feel like it'll be more as it gets colder out, but we've done scrambled states of America. We've okay. done a United States puzzle. We've got a few different like US themed games that we've played to kind of help remember where states are and things about them. Okay, that's cool. And then what about the science? So for science, we did Real Science Odyssey this year. It's a, okay. a secular-based curriculum from Pandita Press. Yep. And we did their life science. I haven't decided if I love it or not. It worked for what we needed, which is I wanted something that was very hands-on experiment-based. Okay. And if, you haven't, if you're not familiar with it, the great thing with um, Real Science, Life Science Odyssey is they have the first couple chapters of the book free for a demo online, oh, nice. like experiments, text, everything. So you can just look at that online. So I looked at the demo, I thought it was gonna be a lot of hands-on experiments, which it definitely does try to do about two a week, but sometimes it's more labeling a picture. Sometimes it's more doing a graph. So sometimes it's just not quite as hands-on as I would like. So sometimes I end up doing a little bit more, trying to find something more hands-on than just labeling a picture. And then we also end up reading a lot of library books to go along with that. So do you find it difficult to prepare for the science stuff? Um, I've had, um, uh, I'm doing a science workbook, kind of a STEM workbook right now. And I find the biggest challenge for me is to making sure I have all the materials and stuff to do the activity. Do you do so a lot nice, of prep work? Yeah. So the nice thing with Real Science Odyssey is they all include a list in the beginning that tells you okay. everything you need in what week, as far okay. as you know, maybe they recommend tweezers or maybe they recommend, you know, what do we need the one week corn store, okay. like corn store, something that maybe you don't keep in your family's household usually. Okay. Um, some people will buy everything at the beginning of the year and just put it in a tub. I don't have any interest in doing that. So I'll just try to look for like a week or two in advance and be like, oh, I'm going to need this. Or I'm going to need that. And then just remember the next time I go to Target, oh, I need to pick up, you know, whatever it is that we're going to need. I know we you know, some of the weird stuff we needed to have to get like beans or red hot yeah. candies when we made a, a model of blood or, you know, things like that. Okay. Understood. Yeah. I, I've been wondering if I needed like a, like a STEM basket. I've, I've seen a lot of things return. Yeah. Return. Yeah. It's just another thing we have to put up high. <laughs> yeah, my, I will say my background's in science. So I'm a registered nurse. So I feel like the science ideas and, you know, brainstorming comes a little easier for me than trying to think of ideas for some of these other subjects. So you, you talked just briefly about, you know, yourself leaving um, 
leaving the your your career because of a chronic illness. Can you tell us a little bit about how that affects your homeschool? What's that like to to homeschool on days when it it doesn't it doesn't all come together? Sure. So I guess to give you guys a little bit of backstory. So after our second child was born, he was about nine months old when I started getting really sick. Went to doctors, did lots of tests. Took them about a year to find out that I had Crohn's disease. My father has Um, Crohn's as well. It's it's very difficult. So wasn't really on our radar, but as you can see, took a bit. And then we're just kind of getting, wrapping our head around that. And I've been working full time through all of this somehow. And then literally a week before the country shut down and COVID hit, I got really sick. Some of the medications you have to take for Crohn's are immunosuppressant. So Mm -hmm. my immune system is very weak. So I went into septic shock. So a week before COVID hits, I'm in the hospital in septic shock. So my doctor's like, you're not going back to work in a hospital with COVID. Like that's not happening. So we're still trying to wrap our eyes around this diagnosis, me being high risk. I'm home with two kids, preschool's closed and suddenly I'm not working. So it was a lot to take in at once. Yeah, well, and, and stress only makes Crohn's flare-ups worse, yeah. you know, so exactly. that just doesn't help things at all. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, for us, a big part of what helps with this is having dad home. Mm-hmm. Again, I think we're really lucky. You know, he's, you know, we've also already said, like, if his job stops being remote or if something happened, our goal would be to keep him working remote as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it takes such a huge weight off of me. I mean, I get it. He's still comes to his office and he still works and does his thing. But it is amazing if I'm like, I'm not feeling well today that he can be like, why don't you take a nap at lunchtime and I'll watch them for an hour or, you know, being able to him to be like, listen, why don't I finish up a little early and you can go rest and then maybe I'll do something again for work once the kids are in bed. Just being able to have that flexibility that we wouldn't have had a couple of years ago. It's just, it makes it a lot easier just for me to even take care of myself. Well, yeah, I, I think, being a partnership, I mean, I, not the same as as your situation, but it's, it's always very nice to have, you know, the spouse there to, to assist and everything. It's, it it can be a lifesaver sometimes. Absolutely. What do Mm -hmm. you, you know, having, having him come in and and take over for you at those times when, you know, you, you need that support because, you know, you're having an issue um, with Crohn's that's great for like short-term stuff, but I'm sure that it also really impacts your ability to like, plan and you know there's lots of preparation and other things that you have to do like how do you how do you structure your preparation and, and other stuff so that you can combat if you are having a flare-up and it, it's not going to all come together do you have a few like go-to things you're like oh we, th- we could do these anytime um so the one thing i'm doing right now and i feel like this is still like a work in progress so who knows what works now if it may be working a year from now Absolutely. but one thing that seems to work right now is doing like a year round schedule Hmm. that way Mm -hmm. if we do have a day where it's clearly clear that nothing's going to get done or a week where it's not a great week that I don't feel bad about we're just not doing homeschooling you know the nice thing is I haven't had a flare but because the immuno you know being so immunocompromised since we've even moved I've had a couple hospital stays just for being having bad infections so Mm -hmm. you know we've had some times where everything's going great and then I'm in the hospital and you know at those times, I don't worry about dad covering all the subjects. You know, the one time I messaged him, it's just like, if, if you can just touch on these two things, like that's all that really matters. I don't need you to be doing all the things. 
So yeah, kind of being so. able to prioritize what's the the biggest thing for your family or for your child right now, I think is important. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's a great way to leverage the flexibility, you know, not, it doesn't have to be today. So I think that's really, it's a really a, a way to take some a weight off your shoulders too, because this, the stress only makes it worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so with all your preparation, you know, you're thinking ahead, you know, is your plan to go um, the distance with uh, your homeschooling or, or have you thought about maybe something else? That is what we're thinking. You know, like I said, it's interesting, you know, when we started, I think, especially for my husband, it was kind of probably more about year at a time thing. And even now, as we're looking at houses to buy and looking at school districts, you know, we looked at one over the weekend that's in a school district that's not known for being a good school district around here. And right away, my husband's like, well, who cares? Our kids are never going to school. So (laughs) (laughs) So clearly he is, you know, a believer. Pennsylvania is interesting compared to where we moved as far as what it lets homeschoolers do with schools. You know, it's definitely one of the stricter states as far as homeschooling and, you know, what we need to do every year and evaluations and required testing and things like that. Um, but they will, every every school's required, it um, has to let you legally do sports or whatever after school non-graded activity if you want to. And then some schools on, a, you know, at their discretions will let you do graded, you know, things like taking a class as a one-off or band or things like that. So where we came from, that was something that never happened. So it's interesting knowing those could be things, you know, in high school, if my kids wanted to, without having to enroll them in school, that, that just, that's not an all or nothing here like it would have been in Virginia. Yeah, we have that same thing as a part-time school. I think mm-hmm. we, we can have them take, you know, any, I think, standalone class, like yeah. a science or, or whatnot. It's, it's interesting. So right now, they're the only... Legally, they only have to let them do non-graded, but I guess they just have a law in our house right now to potentially let us take even graded classes in every district. So, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have a feeling for or against it, but it's kind of nice knowing there are those options if my kids feel strongly about, you know, hey, I want to do high school soccer or I want to do band and as opposed to me just being like, sorry, that's not an option if you want to stay home. Yeah, exactly. And especially if there's, I know there's some moms that are concerned like, oh, I can't you know, teach chemistry in, in my house. I, I may need to leverage the school system. It's nice to have that opportunity. Want or the option. facilities yeah. or the things that we, you know, I, I cannot teach choir here at <laughs> home. I, I can teach a, a solo, but I can't, yeah, exactly. I can't give them that experience that, ha- mm-hmm. that involves other children or facilities. So, so at six, at six and seven years old is kind of kindergarten, first grade time. Um, what does PA require you to do um, as, as a homeschooler? So six is when you have to like legally start school. It okay. used to be eight, but they changed it to six. And you have to send an affidavit, a notarized affidavit to your school board every year. Basically, it says, you know, my kids had a physical, he goes to the dentist, his vaccines are up to date. Or if you have a exemption that's on file, that all these things are that you're still taking care of your kid, even though you're staying home and that you'll still meet whatever the academic need is. And then you have to also send them a list of your, kind of like your scope and sequence, Mm -hmm. but it's very broad. It's basically, it's like, you tell them that you're going to introduce art or math and reading. So they just kind of want some vague guidelines for your curriculum. You don't have to list books or anything. And then you need to keep track of 180 days of education every single year. You have to sit down and meet with an evaluator, which is generally a certified teacher, but it can also be like a psychologist or there's a few other people that can do it. 
And then if your child's in third, fifth, or eighth grade, they do have to take a standardized test. And then we, and then the thing we didn't have in Virginia was there was no requirements for high school classes. Whereas here, if you're homeschooling, you have to get so many credits of math, so many credits of English, things like that. I have not really obviously looked into high school much, but it definitely seems a little more than we were used to in Virginia. No, no, that's understandable. Have you had any meeting? Have you had your meeting with the educational coordinator yet? So we don't do that until the end of the year, as okay. far as meet with our evaluator. Um, yeah. You know, and some of the and some of the ones that do the evaluation, some of them are other homeschool moms, some of them are former homeschool moms, retired teachers. So there's kind of a lot of options too. I know the people okay. I've talked to have you know already done evaluations in the past. Say it's all about finding someone that you know supports your teaching philosophy too, because. You know, you get someone that's teaching the public school now, they may wonder, well, why aren't your kid doing, yeah. you know, whatever the scope and peakage is for PA public school first grade, you know, which is might not be the same as life science this year. Maybe they're doing earth science, you know. Yeah, I was wondering if the, if you had had that experience, if if there was any tension there. I, we haven't yet to have that that issue, but we're doing a parent partnership. So we're, we're getting, um, you know, a couple hours a week with the education, you know, licensed teacher. So I think that fulfills a lot of the requirements for the state of Washington, but for, for you guys where you have to kind of have this almost, I don't want to say interrogation, but it's almost like an interview of what you're doing. I didn't know if there was any, have, have the people around you say that it feels a little contentious or have they it, said it's a so good experience? I don't think so because it's not being done. The evaluation is not being done by the school board. It's being done by That's someone good. that the school board finds competent. So that could okay. be you know, a homeschool mom that's a certified teacher. So generally the people doing it are people that are usually willing to be more understanding of homeschooling. So is that up to you to go find who that person's going to be and make sure exactly, they're certified? Yeah. And everything? Okay. Exactly. Okay, mm -hmm. And I guess I know like you can use a psychologist and if you wanted to use someone that wasn't on the list, they would, you'd have to get pre-approval from your, your school board. And so with your evaluation, you're supposed to include samples of work and they say to include something from the beginning, the middle and the end of the year so they can see progress. So it's not just you showing them the best. How do they know, you know, that's the best for your first grader if they don't know kind of where you might've started the year off. Oh, and the other thing is we have to include a book list for the year as well, which I'm 100% sure if that's books we read to them or they read. So I've been seeing, since we do a lot of literature-based learning with science and history, I've been including a lot of books probably over including for our list but yeah i know we had to do a, a short it was is it every month yeah we have to do and, a uh, progress report progress each reports month. each month for our parent uh, partnership parent partnership and you know it seems like oh gosh i have to do that and it really didn't take very long it was by the time easy. we filled it out we were actually I, i'm sure you'll find this too as you're filling things out your, your book list going wow I, I had no idea we did so much yes. <laughs> well so what we did is you know i was kind of reading what other pennsylvania moms have done it's my first year you know because i don't really want to be doing an excel spreadsheet every night or you know anything <laughs> like that and a lot of them were like well just use goodreads scan your barcode on your book yeah. And then just yeah, print brilliant. it off. So I've been doing that. And I just have a different um, bookshelf for each subject. Again, you don't need to itemize by subject. That's just what I've been doing for my own organization. And just seeing the books racking up for history, for science, I'm just like, whoa, you know, it's amazing. Do this a few months and we're up to, you know, this many books. Wow. No, I, I really encourage people if you want to do a nice, easy software that does that. I, exactly. Goodreads and the shelf system there is perfect. I, I do it for my own personal reading. Um, just to log what I've been reading for the last few years, just so I can remember and kind of look back fondly. But, you know, as a homeschool parent, that is such a great, you know, 
thing yeah, there. It's, it's, it's a really great tool. To and use. a lot of times they'll have the same books for like your curriculum. I know for our all about reading curriculum, the blue book, the, you know, whatever mm -hmm. the little blue readers, those actually are listed in there as well. So you can actually log your, Oh, I wonder what the star rating is. I'll have to go look. Yeah, it's probably, probably low. <laughs> because that jam story was really lacking in, you know, <laughs> climax. There just wasn't enough depth in the character. <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, that's a good idea. I have not put my all about reading books on there. So that's, yeah, a, that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for talking with us. This has been really fun to, to find out um, about your family and your homeschool. Uh, before we go, can you, you know, can you give us some words of wisdom of that new homeschooling family out there that's just decided to start and they're, um, you know, just getting into things? What do you wish you knew when you started or what main piece of advice would you give to a new family? Sure. So my um, biggest advice would be don't try to recreate public school at home. You're here. It's generally not going to work. And that doesn't mean that can mean lots of things, but you know, you don't need the classroom, the desk, the eight hour day. It's just not going to work, especially for kindergarten or first grade, but even for older kids, it's not going to work. What's going along with that would be, be flexible, you know, be it for your day, for where your kids at in their academics, for what's going on, just be flexible. And then, you know, my last piece, which really goes on with our family and kind of what we've been through, especially with moving and my health and all, is just realizing that you don't have to do it all. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to see what the school's doing or what other homeschoolers are doing and be like, wow, they're doing this for electives or they're doing that curriculum. It's so easy to get the, you know, you want to do it all. But, you know, we try to go a little bit of time with adding on new things. We don't feel like we need to just take big bites just slowly, even with our, you know, other stuff. My son wanted to do sports this year. We did one sport, maybe do another thing in the spring, but one thing at a time, just go slow. I think that going slow and, and enjoying the time, I think is, is good advice. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's yeah, a great. Because even just getting used to a homeschooling routine, I feel like it's hard. And then you add in, you know, we did soccer. And then if you add in a co-op, you know, that's a lot of stuff mm -hmm. to me to just kind of add your routine on top of whatever other family things you have going on. I know, you know, I run into homeschooling families. They're like, my kid's doing three sports and dance and all this and, <laughs> and, and good for them. Like, that's great. But I know for our family, like that wouldn't work. Like we need, you know, we just did soccer. We did soccer even two nights a week. It was, and that was a lot for us. So like, you know, Good for oh, you. Yeah. You can. can we have one night of gymnastics and half the time we forget that it's going yeah, on and then we, we kick three, ourselves. Three. Like, oh man, it was gymnastics last night. <laughs> we didn't even remember to go. I got all the reminders. I still failed. We are between sports now that soccer ended uh, and dad was the coach. So we could not forget soccer. <laughs> oh, well, that's the bad. I think there's a, there's a note there. You can't coach gymnastics, but you could coach basketball. Well, she's in Pittsburgh at the hockey season's gearing up penguins. Oh, yes, yes, we have we have discussed outdoor sports versus maybe swimming lessons next. So we do have more, but one at a time. That is my thing. So do not do not bite off more than you can chew is the short version for new homeschoolers. <laughs> well, I think that's a great note to leave it on. Thank you so much, Noelle, for your time and in uh, scheduling getting together with us today. This was really fun and we appreciate hearing about your homeschooling journey. Yeah, learned a lot. Yeah, thank you so much, Matt and Ariel. It was wonderful to talk to both of you. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!